Hey, and welcome back, or welcome if it's your first time tuning in. Today's episode is something a little bit different. I'm going to be reading from a favorite book of mine as we start our series of bedtime stories, which was a suggestion recently suggested to me by one of my really good friends, um, Amna, and I've been suggested it before in the past, and then I put it out to you guys on Instagram, and so many of you came back to me asking for me to do this. So, (laughs) thank you for letting me know. Thank you for your comments and your messages um, because I, I, I wouldn't be doing this without you and it's actually something I really love doing. I love reading um, and I love reading out loud So, and I love bedtime stories so this is a huge dream come true. I hope you enjoy and this is going to be part one of many So I'm going to aim to read up to 60 minutes in each episode. And I'm not sure how many chapters that will get us through of the book, so we'll see. I am trialing as we go along. For those of you who don't know me, by the way, I'm Lana. I am a huge advocate of health and wellness. Um, mind body spirit healing holistic healing my background is in nutritional therapy energy healing yoga and um, yeah I have a huge passion for it all so welcome if this is your first time the book that I'm going to be reading today that we're going to be reading actually over these next few series of bedtime series is a book called fear by one of my favorite, favorite authors and Zen Buddhists. He's a Zen Buddhist monk. Thich Nhat Hanh. To some of you may have read this already. Some of you may have never heard of him. He is one of my favorite authors, a very big teacher of mine, and an amazing all-around human being. So I find his books to me really... Um, comforting, soothing, and most of all, really healing. Reading is a way of consumption. We don't only consume through the foods that we eat, we consume through the information that we see um, on TV, through our screens, through media, through what we read. And so I find being mindful of what we consume really helpful to how it affects our general well-being. And this book is one of these books that just fuels me with so many good vibrations through every word I read. Um, They're really easy to read, they're insightful, and most of all, really calming. So let's begin. Introducing Thich Nhat Hanh first. He is a world-renowned writer, poet, scholar, and Zen Buddhist monk. He lives in the monastic communities he has founded in both France and America. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Anger, and the classic work, The Miracle of Mindfulness. He has a lot of other books other than that, and he conducts public workshops throughout the world and peacemaking retreats with Vietnam veterans, Palestinians, and Israelis. In 1967, he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. So this book is called Fear, the Essential Wisdom for Getting Through the Storm. Introduction, Fearlessness. Most of us experience a life full of wonderful moments and difficult moments. But for many of us, even when we are most joyful, there is fear behind our joy. We fear that this moment will end, that we won't get what we need, that we will lose what we love, or that we will not be safe. Often our biggest fear is the knowledge that one day our bodies will cease functioning. So even when we are surrounded by all the conditions for happiness, our joy is not complete. We think that to be happier, we should push away or ignore our fear. We don't feel at ease when we think of the things that scare us, so we deny our fear away. 
We try to ignore our fear, but it is still there. The only way to ease our fear and be truly happy is to acknowledge our fear and look deeply at its source. Instead of trying to escape from our fear, we can invite it up to our awareness and look at it clearly and deeply. We are afraid of things outside of ourselves that we cannot control. We worry about becoming ill, aging and losing the things that we treasure most. We try to hold tight to the things we care about, our positions, our property, our loved ones. But holding tightly doesn't ease our fear. Eventually, one day, we will have to let go of all of them and we cannot take them with us. We may think that if we ignore our fears, they'll go away. But if we bury worries and anxieties in our consciousness, they continue to affect us and bring us more sorrow. We are very afraid of being powerless. But we have the power to look deeply at our fears and then fear cannot control us. We can transform our fear. The practice of living fully in the present moment, what we call mindfulness, can give us the courage to face our fears and no longer be pushed and pulled around by them. To be mindful means to look deeply, to touch our true nature of interbeing and recognize that nothing is ever lost. One day during the Vietnam War, I was sitting in a vacant airfield in the highlands of Vietnam. I was waiting for a plane to go north to study a flooding situation and help bring relief to the flood victims. The situation was urgent, so I had to go in a military plane that was usually used to transport such things as blankets and clothing. I was sitting alone in the airfield waiting for the next plane when an American officer came up to me. He was also waiting for his plane. It was during the war and there were only the two of us at the airfield. I looked at him and saw that he was young. Immediately I had a lot of compassion for him. Why does he have to come here to kill or be killed? So out of compassion I said, you must be very afraid of the Viet Cong. The Viet Cong were Vietnamese communist guerrillas. Unfortunately, I wasn't very skillful in what I said watered the seed of fear in him. And he immediately touched his gun and asked me, are you a Viet Cong? Before coming to Vietnam, US Army officer had learned that everyone in Vietnam should be a Viet Cong and fear inhabited every American soldier. Every child, every monk could be a guerrilla agent. The soldiers had been educated this way and they saw enemies everywhere. I tried to express my sympathy to the soldier, but as soon as he'd heard the word Viet Cong, he'd been overwhelmed by his fear and went for his gun. I knew I had to be very calm. I practiced breathing in and breathing out very deeply and then said, no, I'm waiting for my plane to go to Da Nang to study the flooding and see how I can help. I had a lot of sympathy for him and this came through in my voice. As we talked, I was able to communicate that I believed the war had created a lot of victims, not only Vietnamese, but also Americans. The soldier calmed down as well and we were able to talk. I was safe because I had enough lucidity and calm. If I had acted out of fear, he would have shot me out of his fear. So don't think that dangers come only from outside. They come from inside. If we don't acknowledge and look deeply at our own fears, we can draw dangers and accidents to us. We all experience fear, but if we can look deeply into our fear, we will be able to free ourselves from its grip and touch joy. Fear keeps us focused on the past or worried about the future. And if we can acknowledge our fear, we can realize that right now, we are okay. Right now, today, we are still alive and our bodies are working marvelously.
Our eyes can still see the beautiful sky. Our ears can still hear the voices of our loved ones. The first part of looking at our fear is just inviting it into our awareness without judgment. We just acknowledge gently that it is there. This brings us a lot of relief already. Then once our fear has calmed down, we can embrace it tenderly and look deeply into its roots, its sources. Understanding the origins of our anxieties and fears will help us let go of them. Is our fear coming from something that is happening right now or is it an old fear, a fear from when we were small that we've kept inside? When we practice inviting all our fears up, we become aware that we are still alive, that we still have many things to treasure and enjoy. If we are not busy pushing down and managing our fear, we can enjoy the sunshine, the fog, the air and the water. If you can look deeply into your fear and have a clear vision of it, then you really can live a life that is worthwhile. Our greatest fear is that when we die, we will become nothing. To really be free of fear, we must look deeply into the ultimate dimension to see our true nature of no birth and no death. We need to free ourselves from these ideas that we are just our bodies which die. When we understand that we are more than our physical bodies, that we didn't come from nothingness and will not disappear into nothingness, we are liberated from fear. The Buddha was a human being and he also knew fear. But because he spent each day practicing mindfulness and looking closely at his fear, when confronted with the unknown, he was able to face it calmly and peacefully. There is a story about a time the Buddha was out walking and Angulimala, a notorious serial killer, came upon him. Angulimala shouted for the Buddha to stop, but the Buddha kept walking slowly and calmly. Angulimala caught up with him and demanded to know why he hadn't stopped. The Buddha replied, Angulimala, I stopped a long time ago. It is you who have not stopped, he went on to explain. I stopped committing acts that cause suffering to other living beings. All living beings want to live and all fear death. We must nurture a heart of compassion and protect the lives of all beings. Startled, Angulimala asked to know more. By the end of the conversation, Angulimala vowed never again to commit violent acts and decided to become a monk. How could the Buddha remain so calm and relaxed when faced with a murderer? This is an extreme example, but each of us faces our fears in one way or another every day. And the daily practice of mindfulness can be of enormous help. Beginning with our breath, beginning with awareness, we are able to meet whatever comes our way. Fearlessness is not only possible, it is the ultimate joy. When you touch non-fear, you are free. If I am ever in an airplane and the pilot announces that the plane is about to crash, I will practice mindful breathing. If you receive bad news, I hope you will do the same. But don't wait for the critical moment to arrive before you start practicing to transform your fear and live mindfully. Nobody can give you fearlessness, even if the Buddha were sitting right here next to you. He couldn't give it to you. You have to practice and realize it yourself. If you make a habit of mindfulness practice when difficulties arise, you will already know what to do. A time before. Many of us don't remember this, but a long time ago we lived inside our mother's wombs. 
We were tiny living human beings. There were two hearts inside your mother's body, her own heart and your heart. During this time, your mother did everything for you. She breathed for you, ate for you, drank for you. You were linked to her through your umbilical cord. Oxygen and food came to you through the umbilical cord and you were safe and content inside of your mother. You were never too hot or too cold. You were very comfortable. You rested on a soft cushion made of water. In China and Vietnam, we call the womb the palace of the child. You spent about nine months in the palace. The nine months you spent in the womb were some of the most pleasant times of your life. Then the day of your birth arrived. Everything felt different around you and you were thrust into a new environment. You felt cold and hunger for the first time. Sounds were too loud, lights were too bright. For the first time you felt afraid. And this is original fear. Inside the palace of the child, you didn't need to use your own lungs. But at the moment of your birth, someone cut the umbilical cord and you were no longer physically joined with your mother. Your mother could no longer breathe for you. You had to learn how to breathe on your own for the very first time. If you couldn't breathe on your own, you would die. Birth was an extremely precarious time. You were pushed out of the palace and you encountered suffering. You tried to inhale, but it was difficult. There was some liquid in your lungs and to breathe in, you had to first push out that liquid. We were born and with that birth, our fear was born along with a desire to survive. This is original desire. As infants, each one of us knew that to survive, we had to get someone to take care of us. Even after our umbilical cord was cut, we still had to rely entirely on adults to survive. When you depend on someone or something else to survive, it means that a link, a kind of invisible umbilical cord is still there between you. When we grow up, our original fear and original desire are still there. Although we are no longer babies, we still fear that we cannot survive, that no one will take care of us. Every desire we will have in our lives has its root in this original fundamental desire to survive. As babies, we all find ways to ensure our survival. We may have felt very powerless. We had legs but couldn't walk. We had hands but couldn't grasp anything. We had to figure out how to get someone else to protect us, take care of us and ensure our survival. Everyone is afraid sometimes. We fear loneliness, being abandoned, growing old, dying and being sick, among many other things. Sometimes we may feel fear without knowing exactly why. If we practice looking deeply, we see that this fear is the result of that original fear from the time we were newborns, helpless and unable to do anything for ourselves. Even though we have grown into adults, that original fear and original desire are both still alive. Our desire to have a partner is in part a continuation of our desire for someone to take care of us. As adults, we're often afraid to remember or be in touch with that original fear and desire because the helpless child in us is still alive. We haven't had a chance to talk to him or her. We haven't taken the time to care for the wounded child, the helpless child within. For most of us, our original fear continues in some form. Sometimes we might feel scared of being alone. We may feel that alone I can't make it. I have to have somebody. This is a continuation of our original fear. If we look deeply, however, we will find that we have the capacity to calm our fear and find our own happiness. 
We need to look closely at our relationships to see whether they are based primarily on mutual need or on mutual happiness. We have a tendency to think that our partner has the power to make us feel good and that we're not okay unless we have that other person there. We think, I need this person to take care of me or I will not survive. If your relationship is based on fear rather than on mutual understanding and happiness, it doesn't have a solid foundation. You may feel you require that person for your own happiness. And yet at some point you may find the presence of the other person to be a nuisance and want to get rid of him. Then you know for sure that your feelings of peace and security did not really come from that person. Similarly, if you like to spend a lot of your time at a cafe, it may not be because that particular cafe is so interesting. It may be because you're afraid of being alone. You feel that you always have to be with other people. When you turn on the television, it may not be because there's a fascinating program you want to see. It's because you're afraid of being alone with yourself. If you're afraid of what other people might think of you, it comes from that same place. You're afraid that if others think negatively about you, they won't accept you and you'll be left all alone in danger. So if you need others to always think well of you, that is a continuation of that same original fear. If you regularly go shopping to buy yourself new clothes, it's because of that same desire. You want to be accepted by others. You're afraid of rejection. You're afraid you'll be abandoned and left alone with no one to take care of you. We have to look deeply to identify the original primal fear and desire that are behind so many of our behaviors. Every one of the fears and desires that you have today is a continuation of original fear and desire. One day I was walking and I felt something like an umbilical cord linking me to the sun in the sky. I saw very clearly that if the sun was not there, I would die right away. Then I saw an umbilical cord linking me to the river. I knew if the river wasn't there, I would also die because there would be no water for me to drink. And I saw an umbilical cord linking me to the forest. The trees in the forest were creating oxygen for me to breathe. Without the forest, I would die. And I saw an umbilical cord linking me to the farmer who grows the vegetables, wheat and rice that I cook and eat. When you practice meditation, you begin to see things that other people do not see. Although you don't see all these umbilical cords, they are there, linking you to your mother, your father, the farmer, the sun, the river, the forest, and so on. Meditation can include visualization. If you were to draw a picture of yourself with these many umbilical cords, you would discover that there are not only five or ten, but maybe hundreds or thousands of them, and you were linked to them all. In Plum Village, where I live in southwest France, we like to use gattas, short practice poems that we recite silently or out loud throughout the day to help us live deeply every action of our daily life. We have a gata for waking up in the morning, a gata for brushing our teeth, and even gatas for using the car or the computer. The gata we say as we serve our food goes like this. In this food, I see clearly the presence of the entire universe supporting my existence. Looking deeply into the vegetables, we see sunshine is inside of them, a cloud is inside, the earth is inside, and a lot of hard, loving work is also there in the food before us. Looking in this way, even if no one else is sitting down with us to share that meal, we know that our community, our ancestors, Mother Nature, and the whole cosmos are right there with us and inside us in every moment. We never need to feel alone.
One of the first things we can do to soothe our fear is to talk to it. You can sit down with that fearful child inside and be gentle with him or her. You might say something like this. Dear little child, I am your adult self. I would like to tell you that we are no longer a baby, helpless and vulnerable. We have strong hands and strong feet. We can very well defend ourselves, so there is no reason why we have to continue to be fearful anymore. I believe that talking to the child like that can be very helpful because the inner child may be deeply wounded and the child has been waiting for us to come back to her. All her childhood wounds are still there and we have been so busy that we had no time to go back and help the child heal. That is why it's very important to take the time to go back, to recognize the presence of the wounded child in us, to talk to him and try to help him heal. We can remind him several times that we are no longer a helpless child. We have grown up into an adult and we can very well take care of ourselves. Practice talking to your inner child. Put down two cushions. First sit on one cushion and pretend you are the helpless, vulnerable child. You express yourself. Dear one, I am very helpless. I cannot do anything. It's very dangerous. I'm going to die and nobody is taking care of me. You have to speak the language of the baby. And while you're expressing yourself like that, if the feelings of fear, hopelessness, stress and helplessness come up, please allow them to come up and recognize them. Allow the helpless child enough time to express herself fully. This is very important. After she is finished, move to the other cushion to play the role of the adult self. As you look at the other cushion, imagine the helpless child is sitting there and talk to her. Listen to me. I am your adult self. You are no longer a helpless child. We have grown up into an adult already. We have enough intelligence to protect ourselves, to survive by ourselves. We don't need someone to take care of us anymore. When you try this, you will see that the feeling of safety and security you want to feel doesn't come from clinging to another person or from constantly distracting yourself. Acknowledging and soothing the fear within is the first step in letting it go. Understanding that we are now safe is essential for those of us who have suffered abuse, fear or pain in our past. Sometimes we may need a friend, a brother, a sister, a teacher to help us not fall back into the past. We have grown up. We're now capable not just of defending ourselves, but of living fully in the present moment and giving to others. original fear. Many of us often find ourselves thinking of things that stir up feelings of fear and sorrow. We have all experienced some suffering in our past and we often recall our past suffering. We revisit the past, reviewing it and watching the films of the past. But if we revisit these memories without mindfulness or awareness, every time we watch those images, we suffer again. Suppose you were abused as a young child. You suffered greatly. You were fragile and vulnerable. You were likely afraid all the time. You didn't know how to protect yourself. Perhaps in your mind you continue to be abused again and again, even though you are an adult now. You are no longer that child who is fragile and vulnerable with no means of defense. Yet you continue to experience the suffering of the child because you always revisit those memories even though they are painful. There is a film, an image stored in your consciousness. Every time your mind goes back to the past and you look at that image or watch that film, you suffer again. Mindfulness reminds us that it is possible to be in the here and now. It reminds us that the present moment is always available to us. We don't have to live events that happened long ago. 
Suppose someone slapped your face 20 years ago. That was recorded as an image in your subconscious. Your subconscious stores many films and images of the past which are always being projected down there. Then you have a tendency to go back and watch them again and again so you continue to suffer. Every time you see that picture, you are slapped again and again and again. But that is only in the past and you are no longer in the past, you are in the present moment. That did happen, yes, in the past, but the past is already gone. Now the only things left are pictures and memory. If you keep going back to the past to review those images, that is wrong mindfulness. But if we root ourselves in the present moment, we can look at the past in a different way and transform its suffering. Perhaps when you were a little child, people would sometimes take your toy away from you. You learned to cry, to try to manipulate the situation or to smile so as to please your caretaker to make her give back the toy. As a young child, you learn to produce a diplomatic smile. That's one way of dealing with the problem of survival. You learn without even knowing that you're learning. The feeling that you're fragile, vulnerable, unable to defend yourself, the feeling that you always need someone to be with you is always there. That original fear in its other face, original desire, is always there. The infant with his fear and his desire is always alive in us. Some of us have depression and continue to suffer. Even in the present situation, everything looks all right. This is because we have a tendency to dwell in the past. We feel more comfortable making our home there, even if it holds a lot of suffering. That home is deep down in our subconscious where the films of the past are always projected. Every night you go back and watch those films and suffer. And the future you constantly worry about is nothing other than a projection of fear and desire from the past. Don't fear the past. Because it's so easy to be caught in the past, it's helpful to have a reminder to stay in the present. In Plum Village, we use a bell. When we hear the bell, we practice breathing in and out mindfully and we say, I listen to the bell. This wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. My true home is in the here and now. The past is not my true home. You may want to say to the little one inside of you, the past is not our home. Our home is here where we can really live our life. We can get all the nourishment and healing we need here in the present moment. Much of the fear, anxiety and anguish that we experience is there because the inner child has not been liberated. That child is afraid to come out to the present moment. And so your mindfulness, your breath can help this child to realize that she is safe and can be free. Suppose you go to the movies. From your seat in the audience, you look up at the screen. There is a story. There are people on the screen interacting with each other. And down there in the audience, you cry. You experience what's happening on the screen as real, and that's why you shed real tears and feel real emotions. The suffering is real. The tears are real. But when you come up to touch the screen, you don't see any real people. It's nothing but flickering light. You can't talk to the people on the screen. You can't invite them to have tea. You can't stop them or ask them a question. But yet it can create real suffering in your body as well as your mind. Our memories can cause us real suffering, both emotionally and physically, even though they are not happening in the moment. When we recognize that we have a habit of replaying old events and reacting to new events as if they were the old ones, we can begin to notice that the, when that habit energy comes up. We can then gently remind ourselves that we have another choice. 
we can look at this moment as it is, a fresh moment, and leave the past for a time when we can look at it compassionately. We can make the time and space, not in a busy moment, but in a quiet time, to tell the suffering, wounded child inside us, that she doesn't have to suffer anymore. We can take her hand and invite her to come into the present moment and witness all the wonders of life that are available here and now. Come with me, dear one. We have grown up. We no longer need to be afraid. We are no longer vulnerable. We are no longer fragile. We don't have to be afraid anymore. You have to teach the child in you. You have to invite him to come with you and live life with you in the present moment. Of course, we can mindfully reflect upon and learn from the past, but when we do this, we stay grounded in the present moment. If we are well grounded in the present moment, we can look skillfully at the past and learn from it without being sucked in and overwhelmed by it. We likewise can prepare for the future without getting consumed by our plans. Often we either don't plan at all or we get caught up in obsessive planning because we fear the future and its uncertainty. The present moment is where we need to operate. When you are truly anchored in the present moment, you can plan for the future in a much better way. Living mindfully in the present does not preclude making plans. It only means that you know there's no use losing yourself in worries and fear concerning the future. If you are grounded in the present moment, you can bring the future into the present to have a deep look without losing yourself in anxiety and uncertainty. If you are truly present and know how to take care of the present moment as best as you can, you are doing your best for the future already. The same is true about the past. The teaching and the practice of mindfulness do not forbid looking deeply into the past but if we allow ourselves to drown in regret and sorrow concerning the past that's not right mindfulness if we're well established in the present moment we can bring the past back to the present moment and have a deep look you can very well examine the past and the future while you're established in the present moment in fact, you can learn from the past and plan for the future in the best way if you are grounded in the present moment. If you have a friend who suffers, you have to help him. My dear friend, you are on safe ground. Everything is okay now. Why do you continue to suffer? Don't go back to the past. It's only a ghost. It's unreal. And whenever we recognize that these are only movies and pictures, not reality, we are free. That is the practice of mindfulness. Reconciling with our past. Our original fear isn't just from our own birth and childhood. The fear we feel comes from both our own and our ancestors' original fear. Our ancestors suffered from hunger and other dangers and there were moments when they were extremely anxious. That kind of fear has been transmitted to us. Every one of us has that fear inside. And because we suffer from that fear, we make the situation worse. We worry about our safety, our job and our family. We worry about external threats. Even when nothing bad is happening, that doesn't prevent us from feeling fear. Once a young American came to Plum Village and practiced meditation with several others. During this time, I suggested to everyone present that they write a love letter to a parent, regardless of whether that parent was still living. Writing a letter is a form of meditation practice. This young man could not do it because every time he thought of his father, he suffered greatly. His father had already died and yet he could not reconcile with him. His father had terrified him when he was growing up, so much so that even now he was afraid to speak to him through a letter. He could not bear to even think of his father, much less write to him. 
so I gave him an exercise to practice for one week. Breathing in, I see myself as a five-year-old child. Breathing out, I smile to that five-year-old child. When you are a small boy or girl, you are very fragile, very vulnerable. Just a stern look from your father can create a little wound in your heart. If your father tells you to shut up, you can get wounded. You are very tender. Sometimes you want to express yourself. You try very hard to find words and your father is a little irritated and he says, shut up. It is like a bowl of ice water being poured on your heart. It wounds you deeply and the next time you will not dare to try again. Your communication with your father becomes very difficult. Breathing in, I see myself as a five-year-old child. Breathing out, I smile to that five-year-old child. Do you think that child is no longer there? The little boy or girl in you is still alive and maybe still deeply wounded. That child is calling for your attention, but you have no time for him or her. You're too busy. You conceive of yourself as an adult, but in fact, you're also that little girl or boy who is deeply wounded and afraid. So when you breathe in and see yourself as a small child who is fragile like that, compassion is born in your heart. And when you breathe out, you smile to him or her, and that is already a smile of understanding, of compassion. The little child inside you can suffer so much. When you were small, you were deeply affected by the decisions adults made around you. A child is very impressionable. Even before he or she is born, a child hears sounds and can distinguish shouting from singing. This is why if you really care for your child, even when your child is not yet born, you will surround that child with love. Love should begin very early. There are many young people who say they hate their fathers or mothers. They sometimes tell me in strong, clear terms, I don't want to have anything to do with him, with her. These people are so angry with their parents that they want to completely sever the relationship. Sometimes people have good reasons for separating themselves physically or emotionally from their parents, especially if their parents are abusive. Sometimes we fear that if we are around our parents, we will be too vulnerable and we'll get hurt again. But even if we refuse to see our parents or talk to them, we cannot separate ourselves completely from them. We are made from them. We are our fathers. We are our mothers. This is true even if we think we hate them. We are the continuation of our mothers and fathers. We can't extract that part of ourselves. To get angry with our parents doesn't change this. We are only getting angry with ourselves. We need to reconcile with the parents inside, talk to the parents inside, and look for a way to peacefully coexist. If we can realize this, reconciliation will be easy. We are capable of great change, both internally and also in our ability to influence the world outside us. Because we are scared, we often think we don't know what to do. But we only need to practice mindful walking and mindful breathing to cultivate the energy of mindfulness and understanding. Understanding when it comes helps us release our fear, our anger, our hate and so on. Love can only be born on the ground of understanding. When we say that body and mind are connected, this does not mean just your own individual body and mind. In you are all your blood ancestors and also your spiritual ancestors. You can touch the presence of your father and mother in each cell of your body. They are truly present in you, along with your grandparents and great-grandparents. Doing this, you know you are their continuation. You may have thought that your ancestors no longer existed, but even scientists say your ancestors are present in you, in the genetic heritage that is in every cell of your body. The same is true for your descendants. You will be present in every cell of their bodies.
and you are present in the consciousness of everyone you have touched. Think of a plum tree. In each plum on the tree there is a pit. That pit contains the plum tree and all previous generations of plum tree. The plum pit contains an infinite number of plum trees. Inside the pit is an intelligence, a wisdom that knows how to become a plum tree, how to produce branches, leaves, flowers and plums. It cannot do this on its own. It can do this only because it has received the experience and adaptations of so many generations of ancestors. And you are the same. You possess the wisdom and intelligence to become a full human being because you have inherited an eternity of wisdom, not only from your blood ancestors, but from your spiritual ancestors too. Your spiritual ancestors are in you because what you are by nature and what you are by nature cannot be separated. Nurturing transforms your inherited nature. Your spirituality and your mindfulness practice, which are parts of your daily life, are also in every cell of your body. So your spiritual ancestors are in every cell of your body. You cannot deny their presence. Some of us have wonderful parents. Others have parents who suffered a lot and made their partners and their children suffer. Just about everyone has some blood ancestors whom we admire and others who had many negative traits and of whom we are not proud. They are all our ancestors. We, we may also have spiritual ancestors who did not help us and may even have done harm. We may be angry with them, but they are still our ancestors. We need to return to ourselves and embrace our blood and spiritual ancestors. We cannot get rid of them. They are a reality and they are there inside us, in body, mind and spirit. Unconditional acceptance is the first step in opening the door to the miracle of forgiveness. Practice accepting our ancestors. To sincerely accept others as they are, we must begin with ourselves. If we cannot accept ourselves as we are, we will never be able to accept others. When I look at myself, I see positive, admirable and even remarkable things. But I also know that there are negative parts of me. So first I recognize and accept myself. Breathing in and breathing out, you visualize your ancestors and you see all their positive and negative points. Be determined to accept them all as your ancestors without hesitation. Dear ancestors, I am you. With all your strengths and weaknesses, I see you have negative and positive seeds. I understand that you have been lucky and that good seeds like kindness, compassion and fearlessness were watered in you. I also understand that if you were not lucky and negative, seeds like fear, greed and jealousy were watered in you, then the positive seeds did not have a chance to grow. When a person's positive seeds are watered in life, it is partly because of luck and partly because of effort. The circumstances of our lives can help us water the seeds of patience, generosity, compassion and love. The people around us can help us water these seeds and so can the practice of mindfulness. But if a person grows up in a time of war or in a family and community that is suffering, that person may be full of despair and fear. Parents who suffer a lot and are afraid of the world and other people water the seeds of fear and anger in their children. If children grow up embraced by security and love, the good seeds in them are nurtured and grow strong. If you can look at your ancestors in this way, you will understand that they were human beings who suffered and tried their best, that understanding will erase all rejection and anger 
Accepting all your ancestors with both their strengths and their weaknesses will help you become more peaceful and less afraid. You can also see your elder brothers and sisters as your youngest ancestors because they were born before you. They too have strengths and challenges like all of us. Making peace with your ancestors takes some practice, but it is important to reconcile with them if you are to settle the fear within yourself. You can do this anywhere, before an altar or a tree, on a mountain or in the city. All you need to do is visualize the presence of all your ancestors inside you. You are their continuation. Only when you make your peace with them can you be 100% in the moment. And that is 27 pages in of the book Fear by Thich Nhat Hanh. And I'll be recording chapter by chapter as we go along in this book. If you enjoyed it and you wish to read it yourself, I really recommend. Otherwise, come back again soon and I'll have part two uploaded. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed. Please do let me know how you found it. You can contact me, get in touch and connect with me as always on Instagram at Luna Oniari. That's L-U-N-A-R-O-N-I-Y-A-R-I. And I'm also starting my new online course, Journey to Love on the 7th of June, so in a few days, and the registration closes on the 3rd of June. It's a beautiful course, course Journeying to Self-Love, over four weeks online with myself and a community of us online. You can find out more information on of that on my website, which is nourishing.earth, www.nourishing.earth forward slash Courses. Sending so much love to all your hearts and I will see you all again for some more bedtime stories.